On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, we're going to cut some lion tracks and dump the dogs with my good friend, mentor, and one of the most experienced houndsmen alive today, Vern Smith. Mr. Smith has been one of the most influential men in my life. He's the man who introduced me to lion hunting, hound dogs, and has single-handedly equipped me with most of my own backcountry knowledge and skills. Join us as we dive into a lifetime of lion hunting, outfitting, and raising a family in the mountains of Montana. We really only got to scratch the surface on this one. Vern has more experiences and stories than we could possibly fit into one episode, so I promise you'll be hearing more from this legend down the road on this podcast. Well, we're sitting in one of my favorite places on planet Earth. Um, you built this home, didn't you? The neighbor and, and uh, we all did, kind of team effort. So to paint a picture, we're in a beautiful log cabin home on the banks of the Yellowstone River, um, built and owned by my very good friend and mentor, Mr. Vern Smith, man that introduced me to a lot of life-changing things, but primarily hound dogs and mountain lion hunting. That was not part of my life until we met. Um, and now it is very much a, whether we like it or not, very uh, directional part of our lives. We like it. We, uh, I met you, didn't have any hound dogs. Now I have four. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have twice as many dogs as you. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yeah. So we're in Vern's house, which is a beautiful log home. And... Probably the root of my taxidermy addiction came from this room right here. I mean, there's there's probably a dozen different species mounted throughout your di- your uh, living room, including some incredible Alaskan stuff: brown bear, moose, mountain goat, doll sheep, whitetail, elk, pronghorn, coyote, lion, lynx, wolf, black bear, bobcat, wolverine, ducks. Yeah, I think I got them all. I just looked as fast as I could. I remember one day I asked you, I was like, Vernon, do you have a Super 10? He's like, the hell's a Super 10? I was like, there's 29 species in North America. They divide them into 10 categories. And if you get one from every category, you have a Super 10. And I, that was a big uh, goal of mine in my late 20s. And I accomplished it at 29. And I just looking around the room, I was like, there's nine of them right here. And he's like, well, what am I missing? I was like, buffalo or muskox? He's like, oh, I've killed some buffalo. I was like, okay, you have it. You don't even know it, and you you have it, which is pretty cool. But uh, I want to I wanna subject you to kind of telling the story with me of how we got to know each other, how we uh, raised some dogs together and some of the lion hunting that you've, you've uh, made your entire life, besides raising a beautiful family and building a beautiful home. Uh, you're a very proficient and accomplished houndsman and lion hunter. Um, so I'll start, I'll start the story on how we met when I was in college. I really loved hunting and I really wanted to go mountain lion hunting. But if you don't know anything about mountain lion hunting, you're not going mountain lion hunting unless a houndsman invites you to go, uh, because it's a very keystone element of chasing lions is the dogs. And I didn't have dogs, and I didn't know anybody that had dogs, but for years I'd wanted to go. I was a bartender in downtown Bozeman, and on a Friday night, I think it was, early in the evening, there was a middle-aged Livingston woman 
I don't remember her name. And if you remember it, we probably should just leave it out. But a middle-aged uh, woman from Livingston at the wine bar I was bartending at. And we get to talking, and I confess my love for hunting to her and that, you know, I really want to go mountain lion hunting, but I don't know any houndsmen. And what I've heard is most houndsmen are pretty weird and antisocial and unapproachable, and I have no chance at this. She was like, oh, I know a guy that'll take you lion hunting. I was like, bull, bullshit, you do. Like, I know how this, I know enough to know that your average houndsman doesn't want some stranger coming cat hunting with him. She's like, no, 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 this, this guy, he's a father. He uh, loves taking people out and showing them mountain lions, raises hound dogs, has done it forever. This guy will definitely take you lion hunting. And she gives me his phone number. And I'm still very spectacle. Spectacle? Uh, skeptical. Skeptical. There's, there's a K in it. Skeptical. She, yeah, was, not she was up there having dancing lessons. She was up there drinking wine is what she was doing at my bar. My girl. Love that. And talking to the bartender <laughs> is what she was doing. She's a good lady. I, I she, say her name, but she don't, won't let me. Well, you know, yeah. The, and she wouldn't not care. She just got married, actually. She did good for her. Yeah, just... Right. I couldn't pick that woman out of a crowd. I don't remember anything about this lady except she introduced me to Vern. So she slides me his phone number. She's like, I'm not kidding. This guy is a good guy. He loves introducing people to his passion of hounds and lion hunting. Call this man. And I walked in. This is like 9 p.m. on a Friday night. Yeah, it's more like 10. By the time I got to calling you, it was, yeah. So I walk into the walk-in freezer or refrigerator. If you ever worked in a restaurant, you're familiar with the area. It's like the one quiet spot in a busy restaurant on a Friday night. Walk into the walk-in freezer, call this number. And in hindsight, this was my first mistake. I won't call it a mistake because it all worked out pretty good. But you don't call a rancher at 10 p.m. on a Friday night. You just don't do it. And I'm so young and ignorant to everything that's happening uh, that I call this guy and he picks up and I remember you sounded scary right away. You're like, who is this? And I was like, uh, uh my name's Pete. I, yeah. uh, I heard you, you have hound dogs and maybe I could come mountain lion hunting with you sometime. And I, I, I'm not even kidding. It was a very short phone call. Very quick. Very, very brief. You're yeah. probably asleep. I was, you woke me up. You were like, where'd you get my phone number? Her. Okay. Be a, be at my house at 5 a.m. tomorrow. I was like, okay, shoot me the address. And I hang up. I proceed to bartend and clean up the restaurant until like 2 in the morning and leave Bozeman at 4 in the morning. I don't even know if I slept. I went home and like organized some stuff and probably tried to sleep for a minute, jumped in the truck, blindly drove down to where Vern lives and showed up on your doorstep in the dark that morning. Mm-hmm. And was welcomed in to your home and your kennel. And uh, it was just like the phone call I'd had the night before. It was very abrupt and to the point. I was like, you need some coffee? All right, get in my truck. We're going, we're going to look for a track. And we did. And by 9, 10 a.m. that day, I'm standing at the base of a tree looking at a mountain. I've never seen a mountain in my whole life. Looking at a mountain lion. And all these dogs, probably three hounds with us that day, all these dogs barking, Vern standing there next to me, and he's like, pretty cool, huh? 
I was like, man, I hope you have enjoyed your morning with me because you are not going to be able to get rid of me. That's, and and you haven't been. Understatement. I'm silencing your cell phone. You're more popular than I am. You're getting text messages. I'm silencing your phone. There. Uh, and that was, that was the, the beginning of really life-shaping uh, part of my life of mountain lion hunting and learning things from you over the last decade. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was 10 a.m. And I remember I was driving back like, just, just as soon as it happened. It ended, and I'm driving home, and I'm just like, what just happened? 12 hours ago, I'm standing in a refrigerator mm-hmm. in downtown Bozeman calling a stranger, and now I've just had one of the most amazing experiences of my life, and I'm saving this guy's phone number. And for years to come after that, I thought of changing it, but it's such a hassle. Yeah, it's a lot. To you tell jump, everybody. You got to jump through a lot of hoops to change yeah. your phone number. Just decided to just put up with it and go with yeah. it. Yeah. A couple of times I showed up, I was like, is Vern here? No. I was like, I know he's here. His truck's here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for years in the wake of that, I, my love for hound dogs and lion hunting, 100% is attributed to you and the dogs that we hunted with 10 years ago, namely Elroy. And uh, it fundamentally changed my life and steered steered me in the directions to the places that I am today with owning my own four hound dogs and I guide lion hunts now. So that was the origin of all of it. Why don't you try, do you, is your memory of all of that any different than what I just told? Not really. No, it was pretty <laughs> straightforward. We just caught a cat. You two, you guys. Your brother was with you, wasn't he? No. Who was with you? Two. No, you had a uh, another houndsman with you. I was alone. Huh. And it was Cash and Elroy and maybe just those two. Yeah, I thought you were with somebody else. I know. But my presence is so intense that you think there's a couple people here, but it in fact is just me. It was a good day. Yes, it was. It was a good day. I mean, all the days that you go out and you don't find a lion track, all the days you go out and you run in circles and don't catch the cat, this was, here's a lion track, turn them loose. 20 minutes later, a mile down the creek, treed. It was just a textbook, pretty easy lion hunt, treed a female, treed and free, let her go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was hooked. I mean, that was it for me. I, I knew right away. It was like the first time I went hunting. The first time I went hunting, I went squirrel hunting. And I was like, you can cancel the golf lessons. And ballet's over for you. You can cancel my dancing lessons. <laughs> this is what I'm doing now. Um, but I became your, whether you liked it or not, I became your uh, your unshakable minion there for a couple winters. All the trails Vern didn't want to hike up at 5 a.m. to look for lion tracks. I got sent up. All the, all the roads that were a little inconvenient for Vern to go drive, I I was told to go drive. I was like, hey, kid, if you want to come chase lions with us, uh, you're going to do some work. And I loved it, and I sank my teeth into it. And, uh, yeah, I I absolutely got addicted to it. Um, and I didn't even – and it was a very clear rule in the beginning. Like, you are welcome to come chase cats with us whenever. You may not kill one. And that went on for years. And I, you still uphold that for the most part. If people want to get into lion hunting or come join us, 
I don't think you're huge on somebody showing up for some first timer showing up and be like, I have a tag. Can I shoot it? Yeah. yeah you don't like it. It doesn't fly. And I, I've adopted that and that's kind of my mentality too. Um, at least for locals and stuff. Um, we flash forward a couple of years and I was doing some yard work with you and you pull me aside. I remember this so clearly because you didn't want Lori to know your wonderful wife and mother, of your children. You go, Pete, thinking about getting another puppy. And it was kind of like a don't tell Lori, like, hey, I'm, I got a friend who's got a friend who's got some good puppies coming out of Arizona. I'm thinking about getting two of them. Would do you, you want in on this? And I'm immediately like, yep, yes, of course, yes, whatever. If you're doing it, I'm doing it. And I think in hindsight, you probably wanted me to be part of it. So if Lori got really mad, you could be like, I don't, I'm getting them for Pete. Like, <laughs> I probably just as likely could have ended up with both of them. You, you get blamed for a lot of things, Pete. In I fact, know, I know. Like sitting in the house right now, anything that's broken is your fault. Yeah, no, I know, <laughs> I know. As soon as she gets home. So wh- where did that start when you had a buddy from eastern Montana who was going to source some puppies for you? Or Oh, there's a guy that I started into hounds too years and years ago, Jim Miskus. The coolest guy. You were scared of him. I'm still boy. scared of him. Yeah. I'm not scared of Vern anymore. Still scared of Jim. <laughs> Nicest, nicest guy in the world, but he's got yeah. hands that could bend your neck. He's like a baseball glove of a human being, just like made of leather, straight-faced, could probably make you disappear if you wanted to. Yikes. Oh, and just a, a pretty badass yeah. houndsman. He's a good hunter. He's good. He's tough. So was he getting puppies too? He bought four of them, and then I took two of them. Does he still have those dogs? He's got one of them, yeah. And then, That'd be interesting to see that dog. It's so related gave, to ours. Yeah, I gave him his first two hounds years ago. You did? Yeah. Are you responsible for all this stuff? A lot of people, yeah. yeah so, but, long story short, you, you source some dogs from Arizona, and you're like, hey, I'm going to get these puppies brought up. If you want one, I'll, I'll hold one for you. And you had you were a big blue tick guy. at the, you, You're probably a big every kind of hound guy. But at the time... Was Elroy full blue tick? Mm-hmm. And Elroy was like the super hound, still the greatest dog I've ever ever hunted behind. Um, and there were two litters. So one of the litters with the same dad, but two different females. And the dad was a red bone. And then the moms were a blue tick and a walker. Mm-hmm. So one of them was... Uh, Redbone Walker, one of them was Blue Tick Walker. Two different litters, two different moms, same dad, same age. And Vern was like, hey, just I'm gonna shoot you straight right now. This sight unseen. He's like, I'm I'll get the blue tick. I'm like, Yeah, you get whatever one you say you get, I'll just take the other one. So they show up and what was the consensus? Yeah, the blue tick one was ugly, stupid, <laughs> not athletic. And the other one was a phenomenally athletic dog. Good looking, good looking, good man. looking walker. Like a dog. I'm I'm proud to call him my best friend today, Sphinx. Uh, as a puppy, Sphinx was far good, superior. Like he's the, he was the type of puppy that like uh, a dog food company would put on their bag. Like every like just an attractive, beautiful, perfect looking walker hound dog 
Dobby, his stepbrother, who is named after a house elf. He's named after a house elf. Named by your daughter, right? Uh, Didn't Austin come up with that? No, I did. You did? From Harry Potter, yeah. You can read? Or you saw the movie. (laughs) Okay, that makes more sense. So, Dobby, is his tail broken? Is his tail bobbed? It was never there. He's he was born deformed. Yeah, he and just was more shy. Sphinx was very social and just gorgeous. Dobby was certainly more shy, kind of a busted tail, not a lot of self confidence, and like walked in circles. Big nose. And I was like, hey man, that's the blue tick you said you were getting. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I get this. It's, pretty it's true. Well. He was like, and Vern and Vern's a man of his word and didn't say anything about it. And Lori, finally, at the end of that day, when we're just playing with the puppies out in the yard here, Lori was like, wait a minute. You're telling me this homeless kid we can't get rid of gets the beautiful <laughs> walker puppy and we get this one? And Ron was like, this is the deal, that deal I made. Well, turns out they're both phenomenal hunting dogs. And Dobby's probably a, a superior hunting dog just due to the volume of hunting you do. Um, he turned out okay. Yeah, that I mean, that dog just through the years got to hunt more than Sphinx and I did. And we hunted a lot. But anyways, that's that's the backstory. How I met Vern and how he uh, interjected my first hound dog and still my, my favorite dog into my life. But your story starts way before that. You're f- not from Montana, right? Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania. What brought you to Montana? Just to hunt and fish, basically. College? No. Oh, you didn't go to college? Well, I finally did, yeah. I thought I thought you came out here to go to college. No, I came out. I was going to be pre-vet, and I changed my mind, and then I ended up in eastern Montana for a year. Went to shoeing school. So you were on, were you on horses growing up? Pretty much, yeah. Back in Pennsylvania? Yeah, worked for the DuPonts doing stuff. And they, they talked about Montana for for quite a while, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to leave and go. That's what – yeah, that's what I did too. Took some bird dogs with me, and you did what well, flavor? Vichless. I used to field trial Vichless. Oh yeah, yeah. The they're the uh, like the butterscotch ones, right? Yeah, yep. Real high strong. These were pretty mellow. They were really nice dogs, and then ended up in Eastern Montana down by Baker. How old are you? Are you you twenty years old at this point? No, oh, she was nineteen. Nineteen. Mm-hmm. And you got some bird dogs, and you like horses, and you're. Chewing some horses and working in eastern Montana. Yeah. And then you finally made your way to Bozeman to go to MSU? Well, I actually went to shoeing school at MSU, and then I ended up going to school. That's a thing? Shoeing school, yeah. That's a college. I feel like like that'd be in the same class as, like, you get certified to weld or something, like a a trade school or something. Yeah, it was a 10-week course at MSU. Cool. Yeah, I took that first. Did you pass? Uh, help me put help put my way through school shoeing horses back in the day. And you met your wife at a guest ranch mm-hmm. that you were working at as a young man. Up a crosscut. I was You were you were socializing with the guests too much. Mm-hmm. And you somehow convinced <laughs> a beautiful gal where's Lori from? She was a Navy brat, so All over. Hawaii, Alaska and then Oh wow. Maryland. Mm. Sounds nice. Mm-hmm. Uh Lori's not here right now. But I quickly would credit Lori as being my Montana mother, saint of a woman, and hopefully we get her on here at some point to tell some stories with us too. 
Yeah, so, she hunts with me all the time. She's Oh, she hiked both of us into the dirt if she wanted to. She does you routinely. I know. <laughs> to, to give myself credit, uh, she's like 90 pounds. So she, like, she's I, 60, I got, 63, too. Yeah. Not 63 pounds, 63 years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 63 years old. Yeah. Shouldn't, she's not going to be happy that you dropped that. Well, I was giving her credit for being lightweight and fast, and you just had to throw the H. <laughs> yeah. So um, you meet Lori. You go to school. You start raising your family here. When did you transition from bird dogs to hound dogs? And what it, caused that? Well, I became an outfitter. I worked at a place with racehorses and show horses. We did a bunch of stuff, and then I became a backcountry outfitter and got the hound dogs after the 88 fires, probably in 90. And it was 89. purely, uh, you were like, this is my business. This is an av- This is a winter opportunity for me to continue to outfit and guide. Yeah. I'm going to get hound dogs. I'm going to start hunting mountain lions. Always wanted to hunt, yeah. So with dogs, I bought one dog. Partners with Pat Sinclair. I don't know Pat. He's a government trapper now. I'm um, just living <laughs> Bozeman, but sounds pretty tough. Then I bought a second dog and just kept well, going at it. What was your first breed of hound? It's a blue tick, a hammerbred blue tick. What does that mean? There's a guy uh, in Michigan. Dave Dean has some good dogs. I used to get a bunch of them. There's a picture of a couple over there on the piano, but. Um, they weren't fast dogs, but they weren't track straddlers, but they were consistent. You said hammer something. What is that? Is that just like what uh, the, the blood, stir- The bloodline. Okay. Yeah. Some people put their last names on them or kennels. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. if enough generations go by. Mm-hmm. So you got a blue tick. So they were good. And then Leroy gave me a f- walker female. So I got some pups out of them. And yeah, the walker blue tick crosses. I kept them going for quite a while. So were you breeding hounds from the beginning? Your own dogs? Were you like sourcing? You're like, I'm going to get a male, I'm going to get a female, and we'll have a litter. And did you kind of forecast all that? No, it just kind of evolved. I mean, it took me probably a year and a half, two years to catch a lion when I first started hunting. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. Um, there wasn't many lions back you, then. Right. That's Very, very few lions. And that might be uh, not known by anyone listening to this. You speak of today as most days you speak of it as the heyday like we we have way more lions we're cutting way more tracks today than we used to I, you tell me stories about when you started where you would go days and weeks without cutting a lion track and so there must have been a swing in popular and numbers or you're just really bad at it and you got better well what happened was that was a joke no no i'm just saying that they used to pay you 50 dollars to kill lions so people, there's no, no season, quote. no quote. Oh, you know, really? Yeah, you could just wipe them out. And then Morris Hornhocker, he kind of started the, a movement to try to study him and put quotas on him, get him back. And Kerry Murphy worked for him, and I learned a bunch from those guys helping them collar lines. Are they so? These are like government biologists. Biologists, not government biologists. It's all privately funded. I'm pretty. Oh, sure. it was okay. Yeah. So the the lines came back as soon as we just quit wiping them out. And this is in the wake of an era where we killed every wolf and we killed every bear. And yeah, yep. like you could shoot grizzly bears in Montana up into the 70s, right? Something like Oh, past the 70s. Past the 70s? Oh, yeah. There's one mounted in the Bozeman Sportsman's Warehouse, and it's got a plaque on it that credits it as like the last legally killed grizzly bear in Montana from whatever it was, 79, or I thought it was 70s. But uh, anyways, yeah. that was... So we go from an era of 
market hunting and no hunting at all to call it turn of the century to Teddy Roosevelt comes along and says, let's have some hunting seasons and, and save this stuff. That was also paired with heavy predator, uh, persecution call it. So the, the lions had a bounty on them, like you said, and so did every predator. Well, you know, out of Leopold, the father of conservation, he tried to wipe him out down there in a Kaibab. He did. Him and Ben Lilly. And what was his? They just thought that lions were evil, they should be killed, and the deer should survive. And It's a similar narrative to the kind of the public look at wolves today, where it's like mm-hmm. a lot of people that think the only good wolf's a dead wolf, and they have no place to it, which is kind of a, just a remnant of that old school thinking of like, we like our deer and elk kill every predator on the landscape and not a very dynamic look at like an ecosystem as a whole. So they start to manage them and you got hunting seasons and quotas started showing up. The quotas started showing up. The lines started started showing up. Oh yeah. So you saw over the years, over the last 35 years I've been doing it, the population's gone way up except last year. It seemed like they took a dip last year. (laughs) You're telling me. I burnt a lot of gas on the snowmobile last year. Yeah, it's a. But as a not as even a, sure what is a what main trend it. though. We have w- way more opportunity for lions today. Healthier lion population today than you did when you started this. No way. Yeah, if you cut a lion track back then, you just you'd walk it for days hoping to catch. Right. Yeah, I've read some books. I think it's called uh, "The Long Walkers," and the author's name is escaping me. But his early stories are parallel to that, where it's like. I looked for a month and I found one lion track and then I hunted that lion for three days because it was the only lion track we were going to have. And that's very different from, I mean, we're at times spoiled today where it's like, well, this, this one's going the wrong way. This one's kind of going into the cliffs. Let's go look for another track. Yeah. So I really can't. And I wish every day was like that, but, um, I certainly have never experienced the, the 1980s situation that you kind of, it had to have been discouraging. No, it's all we knew. I mean, I had 101 cat we killed in the crazies. It was, I walked three days for that. And just trying to freshen it up every day. Every day. Yeah. And just trying to recut it. And the rancher would drive with a hunter. We could use radios back then. And mm-hmm. when it got dark and I was, I'd give up, pick the dogs up, go back, start walking again. And we finally killed it. Yeah. Persistence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Consistency kills. It's a fact. So now there's a a million and a half stories for you to tell us, but um, at one point you're outfitting, you're running a guest ranch, you're raising a family, and I don't know how many dogs you had, but my recollection of these stories is at some point you had a entire kennel of hound dogs and you would rotate through you'd have a a pack of dogs you'd hunt for a day or two and you had so many dogs you were able to just keep recycling through them you were breeding dogs Mm -hmm. and there's some number or statistic like when uh when Lori had her maybe her last child or something there was a litter or two at the ranch too there was like here there was like like 25 30 dogs we had a lot of hound dogs yeah yeah swimming in them You've bat, you've you've pulled you pumped the brakes a little bit on that. Now you've probably got more horses now. Oh, I've cut back a lot on the horses, and I, <laughs> I have two hound dogs, and cut back on the cows. And 
We yeah, just saw we saw Rose coming in, your younger female hound. Mm-hmm. She's getting big. She's she filled full, full noticeably grow. bigger yeah. than last time I saw her a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought it was Elroy Howlin out there, but it must have been Rose. If he was in, the, maybe he held from his kennel. Anyways, yeah. Uh, so what you have today? A blue tick, red bone, which is Dobby, and what's a rose? Kind of a blue tick mix as well. Blue, Walker. Blue, yeah, blue tick Walker. Yeah. And that's is that your favorite mix of hound dog? I've had good luck with them. So, what qualities do you like? Are you if you could build a perfect hound dog? Uh, are you look? What do you like in a hound dog? Well, when it'll open on a track that's not too loud, honest. Honest. So explain, yeah, explain what that means because it is an extremely important thing to make sense to me, but what does that mean? That they're not barking when they're excited. So when they bark, there's a lion track. I want one smart enough to figure out which way to run it. I want a dog that'll come back when it's done, when it listens. Know, knows when to quit or listen to you? Oh, well, listen, yeah. Yeah. Easy to handle. I don't need the hyper. Handful. Type. Yeah, I've had those. They're, they're way overrated. How about size? Medium. 45 pounds somewhere in there something sphinx got big my first town was a big male what does sphinx weigh 80 pounds yeah that's it and so that was normal for me and then i have made the decision i won't say mistake to try to <laughs> recreate that when my next hounds mm-hmm. so i guess my most of my dogs are big in comparison to your your preferred preferred dog yeah. type some of the dogs had years ago they were they could just run forever and then then i want a dog that thinks that'll won't cliff out will run around the cliff mm-hmm. not many of the hounds are bred that way anymore you like if if the the cat can jump 12 feet up a cliff or something you want the dog to be smart enough not to just Bark act treed at the act the like it's treed at the bottom of a cliff but instead hunt its way around and see find an exit mm-hmm and that takes a lot of time walking with your dog. Oh yeah, them. you have to you have to show them that stuff. So you've taught me a lot of different things, but I'll, I'll focus on a couple different ones. Uh, you taught me that if you really want to catch a cat, you don't leave the track. Mm-hmm. And with the more technology we have, it's easier and easier to leave the track because it's like, all right, I'll just watch my dogs go up and over the mountain. I'll drive around. And Vern's like, you really need to catch that cat. You will stay right behind your dogs, and you will walk every step your dogs walk, because you can you can correct them uh, if if they make a mistake. You learn. A, I just feel like you learn you said, way oh, more. Oh, you learn way more. You, the difference is back when we were hunting, when we started, we didn't have any of that stuff. Right. So, were you it, when you got started? Did you not even have telemetry? No, I didn't have anything. It's so you turned your dogs loose, and you they go over the, the hill. You can't hear them barking anymore. You keep walking. You keep following them. And if every cat was your paycheck you didn't want to lose them yeah that's right you had to catch them and when telemetry what like what when did telemetry come about the 80s when it was like popularly available well the telemetry was a joke back then it was that that wasn't a joke but it, you, you could tell you which drainage they were in okay it had the antenna and then you and you're trying to triangle so telemetry if you don't know your your dog has a, a collar on it that's beeping uh, on a, a radio signal or some kind of, it's not satellite at that point. It's a radio signal. It's just coming. Yeah, it's coming back from the collar. And triangulation is where you're like, I, I can hear the beep 
up this drainage and then if you were go across the drainage and hear the beep and try to measure or well, train no, that's not quite right you, you is that would, not right isn't it 10 and you turn it till you get the then you have to listen to the beep trying to figure out the intensity the intensity of it and then you dial back and you just keep messing with it and then the first time i did it my dad was with me and we're trying to find brutus and i said ah i got him he's just he's up this canyon he started walking over my shoulder. He comes up from behind us. <laughs> it wasn't like really this. He is, was somewhere close. He was, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't anywhere close to what we have today, which is no. color screen, uh, 3D mapping. And our dogs have the dogs have headlights on them now. You can turn LED lights on the dogs. I've now. seen that. Yeah. yeah. The, the sun retreat in the old days was heavy, and then you usually left it in the truck. Oh, you did. It wasn't something you were taking. I hardly ever back carried it. Okay. Yeah, just, if I lost the dogs, I go back to the truck and get it and try to figure out where they were at. So, but was that, do you remember that being like, did you think that was like the hot new technology? Were you like, man, look how far, like this is incredible. Going from no, no telemetry to having that, did you think it was, or no, were you not impressed with it ever? I kind of remember thinking, this is a lot of money. Be better without it. Just run, just run. Turn the dogs loose and run and keep up. Yeah, no doubt. And that's that's some of the earliest lessons that I learned from you cat hunting was hunt with your dogs. Just go. Just go. Yeah. And I was new to lion hunting and Sphinx, the hound you got me, which by the way didn't pay a dime for. Vern bought me that dog. It was a gift. It's a good gift. If you sent an invoice, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're way past <laughs> settling on that. <laughs> Uh, anyways, that's back when dogs were expensive. I think we gave 50 bucks a piece for them. Was it that much? I can't remember. I think I'm it was, desperate. I think he was a hundred or 200 bucks. And I remember you being, being like, that's expensive dog. <laughs> and I still won't pay more than 200 bucks <coughs> for a dog. Don't remind me in case Laurie hears this. Hmm. Yeah. Just keep the cost out, please. <laughs> oh. So, um, <laughs> the cost out. So another thing you taught me, uh, you said, Something you like in a hound dog is a dog that can think and figure out which way a cat's going. So when you hit a track, it's going one of two ways, right? Mm-hmm. And Vern is quick to use the acronym TGIF. What does that mean? And it took you a while to figure that out, but toes go in first on the track. It did. Toes go in first. Toes I'd be like, first. Yeah. I got a track up here. Which you'd be like, which way is it going? I'm like, I don't know. I'm still sorting it out. He's like, Pete. TGIF, man. <laughs> I was like, okay, that makes more sense. You put your fingers in there. That's right. I still remember one time you were so excited about this smoking hot. It was smoking hot. Lion track. And it was. He said smoke- he had this really old wolf track. Was it not even fresh? Oh, you had it mixed up. Well, I had the species mis- mixed, up. mixed up, but one I don't was, think I had the age mixed up. Yeah, one was, yeah, the wolf was smoking hot and the lion was old. Oh, you're talking about when those two were on top of each other. Yeah, I remember this. I thought you were talking about up north of here the day when I was like, get up here, smoking hot track, crossing the road, going north. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. And you, like, canceled church and everything. I felt so bad. Lori wasn't real happy with us that day either. Because you were like, I I can't hunt today unless you find a really fresh track. (laughs) And so I call him. I was like, I I got the really fresh track. I'm getting you out of church. And Lori's. But where the track was at, you said, hey, let go. And I said. Pete, I, like, I, I don't believe it's a line track where you're talking and what's going on there. Yeah, you're so familiar with your hunting spots. You're like, yeah, cats don't cross there. And if you don't know this, cats do travel generally. 
they in do large circles. Things, yeah. And as the years go by, uh, you do like very much year after year, we'll cut lion tracks in the same stretch of road at the same bridge at the same, whatever it is, there seems to be some consistency to it. It seemed unlikely enough that you shouldn't have turned your dog loose. So, but I still talked you into coming. I did come. It was a wolf. <laughs> Which we thought it would be. And Vern's like, you idiot. No, I did not say idiot. I said, Pete, here, I'll explain to you why this is a wolf and not a lion. Which I wish this uh, podcast were more visual, because, but we can talk our way through it. When you're hunting cats in the West, certainly in areas that have wolves, you need to be uh, cued in on the differences between a canine and a cat. So whether it's a coyote or a fox or your own hound dog, dog tracks are going to be the same every time, maybe different sizes. And whether it is a bangled tiger or a mountain lion or a house cat, cat tracks are going to be the same, uh, have the same points to them, uh, just different sizes. So explain just verbally to me the difference between a dog and a cat track. Dog symmetrical. The toes, yeah, they're a symmetrical track, and the cats are asymmetrical. So if you were to draw a line from the toes to the back of the pad and fold that track in half, it'd be it'd match up perfectly. Yep. Yep. And so you pad. have two. We're talking dogs here, canine. Mm-hmm. So whether this is your poodle on the couch right now or a gray wolf in Yellowstone National Park, a dog track is symmetrical, the two front toes match up, and the two further, most outside toes match up. You draw a line across them, it's completely symmetrical. What else? The pad on a dog has the anterior part of the pad as single lobe, and the posterior, which is the back, has a double lobe on the dog. And a cat. I have a double lobe on the interior part and up in the front in the front and triple in the back three in the back mm-hmm. so even if you can't see your toes that well but you see that's usually the quickest and most honest giveaway to whether it's a bobcat or a coyote or a mountain lion or a wolf is when you see those three for me mm-hmm. when i see the three lobes in the back of the heel it's a cat it's a cat dogs show claws Cats typically do not. Typically, but they will. They will. Yeah. Especially in crusty snow. And they walk differently. The pattern's different. Dogs Ex- explain to me what direct registry is. When the hind foot goes right exactly where the front foot came out. Perfectly. Perfectly, yeah. So you really are looking at a hind foot 99% of the time. That's right. Yeah. So if if we're just on a clean logging road with six inches of fresh snow and a wolf walked down the right side, and a cat walks down the left side. A lion track, or a bobcat, or a Bengal tiger, or your house cat, it's going to look like these very clean post-hole alternating left and right steps, which is where this cat has put its back foot exactly where its front foot was. In comparison, what would a, a wolf track look like? A little sloppier, more lined out, straight line. Straighter, not super clean direct registry. No, and they typically trot, where a cat almost always walks. Walks. Now, sometimes when a dog gets to running, though, 
they almost do have some direct registry to them where they do put their foot in the back. But it typically is a much sloppier track. Mm-hmm. Cats, big or small, is just this very clean step-by-step. It just looks calculated and clean. Um, so that's that's kind of step one lion hunting stuff, being able to find – you can't catch the lion if you don't cut the lion track. So that's some of the earlier stuff I learned from you, and uh, I've, it's my entire life now. I I love it. When people ask me, what's your favorite type of hunting? If you could only do one – if you could only hunt one thing the rest of your life, which no, a lot of guys would say archery elk or backpack sheep hunting. Hands down, I'd, I want hound dogs and to chase cats. I just love it. And I think – It's about all I do anymore, to be honest. That's yeah, a, that's a, a you did kill thing. a bull elk last year, though. Um, I uh, <laughs> yeah, I've I've got four right now. You've got two, and you you keep trying to whittle yours down. I feel like you you keep talking like you're gonna get out of it, but I know you won't. You think you'll cat hunt for the rest of your life? Yeah, it depends. On the knees? Yeah, and what I do. It's getting crowded. It gets. It's getting old. Having does the more access. yeah the higher cat numbers mean higher houndsman numbers? There's all these kids. Everyone's hunting now, so it's it's crazy. It's if, if you have a good spot, um, and it's private. You can do it. But. Yeah, um, I can't really gawk at that because I'm part of that. I'm and part I, of that. I help create it too. Yeah, yeah, big time. What's the don't don't eat where you shit? Is that the term? You uh. You definitely created a lot more houndsmen and maybe shot yourself in the foot on some of your own cat hunts. I think it has to do more with land. Oh, yeah. Ownership changes. Things are getting more and more pro- more and more locked up. Yeah, and then the wolves. Now that the wolves are here, we've got guys that won't let you hunt because they got traps that will break dogs' legs. And- okay. Did you see when the wolves were reintroduced in the 90s, did you see lion numbers affected at all? We were still the the line numbers were still climbing back then. They were, yeah, the, even through the introduction. Oh yeah, the introduction took a long time to have sure any effect on anything. Sure, but like in a a general statement, would, would more wolves mean less cats? That would make sense to me, but I don't I don't hunt enough down here in wolf country to really have a not not necessarily no. They're two different predators operating. Yeah, there's two different hunts. A drainage couple of years ago had 10 lines and it only had one female this year i don't i don't know what caused that hmm ebbs and flows huh yeah there's I'm trying to figure out what what it is i don't i don't know if there's a virus oh you're thinking or that that could could isn't. possibly be some people trapping them and not letting you know not being able not to reporting them alive. yeah hmm. you think with the escalation and wolf trapping obviously we're more likely to catch and accidentally kill more lions I helped a guy get a lion out of a trap one time. He had some snares, and the tom was courting the female. And it was pretty dicey getting that cat out. Wait, it was in a snare or a foothold? That was in a foothold, but he had some other snares. So the next day, the tom and the female both got killed in the snares. Oh, but you got it out I got that day the, before. The day before, I got it out of the trap so it could live to die the next day. What? Yeah, or two days later. That's sad. Uh, and how often does that happen? I've never been in that situation, um, but I've seen – some video of guys that have to get, whether it be a wolf, they have to get out of a foothold because they can't kill a wolf or a lion. They have to get out of a foothold because you can't trap a lion. They'll use like a board 
and cut a small half circle at the bottom and kind of push the like a, a sheet of plywood mm-hmm. and push the sheet of plywood against the animal and string them out to where the foot with the trap on it comes through this little hole at the bottom and then you're able to work on how did you do it it's a really good idea yeah i wish i'd known about that this is the <laughs> third compliment Vern has given me in my entire life <laughs> Oh, man, I just so what did you do? I had a cat stick or, or you, rope and I you str- did, okay. strung them out. And now cats are kind of notorious for getting knocked out easy when people put them in catch poles or, or noose them up. Don't they pass out really easy? It's because th- yeah, their throat's a little different than a dog. And their lungs are too. Mm-hmm. So explain to me why a badass 180-pound mountain lion cannot outrun a 40-pound blue tick. Oh, they're just short. They're, they just don't have any lung capacity. That's right. Small yeah. Heart. They're just all powerful. They're they're sprinters, not marathon runners. Exactly. Yeah. Hound dogs are kind of both. They're both. Yeah. Yeah. Bears are short coupled and they'll run forever. Oh yeah. They can run all day till they overheat. Yeah, man. I didn't. You know, Montana just legalized bear hunting with hound dogs this last year. I didn't. I didn't do a single bit of it this year. A couple reasons. One, they just run all over hell and back, and you don't know where your dog's going to end up. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty soft. I really love my dogs. And your dog, I believe your dog is way more likely to get mauled by a bear or bait up than a lion in any situation. Bears seem to beat up dogs more. Is that right? I used to run a lot of bears when I was younger. But down here, I don't want them running bears because I don't want to run a grizzly. Well, you got, yeah, you've got four grizzlies for every one black bear down here. This would be a bad place. It would not be a happy ending. How far are we from Yellowstone National Park right now as the crow flies? Four, four or five miles close. Yeah. So you are on, you got the front front row seat to all things wolf reintroduction related, grizzly bear related. Um, it's, a, it's a wild place and it is a really special place to learn from you how to hunt cats and how to learn the mountains. I mean, I believe said this about trappers and houndsmen. I believe those two activities subject you to a part of nature and you get to learn more of nature. You see part of nature that an average deer and elk hunter will never learn. Oh, we'll never see it. And like right here, we had a wet spring, so the driveway was pretty soft. Christopher tracks in the driveway. In your driveway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that more than once. And it's not that, yeah, you used to have apple trees over here, didn't you? Still do. They're one smaller than the other ones. The bears killed most apple trees. Killed the best tasting apple tree. (laughs) (laughs) I got videos of it eating them. You've had a close call with a Yellowstone grizzly once elk hunting. You got a story. Um, You were elk hunting one day and you ended up in a tree. Yeah, we were both on the same hillside when it got light. You and the bear? Yeah, side by side. Wolf. Yikes. How close? Was it immediately an, uh, an aggressive, intense situation, or was it did it, it play out over time? It just started stalking me. It was 50 yards away when I saw it, digging. And then it smelled me, and then it put its head down and just came in. I mean, that's the main difference between bears in Alaska and bears around Yellowstone National Park. They're scared of you in places that we hunt them. They have no reason to really be afraid of us here because we don't hunt them. We haven't for a very long time. So you're saying this bear got your wind, and instead of spooking, came came to, to you. Yeah. And what'd you do? Climbed a tree. <laughs> <laughs> How high did you climb? Oh, I got a pretty. I just, you know, 
pretty high, and then I yelled at it and it ran away. It did. It it I've, stood up, looked at me from about I thought 30 you were in that tree away. for a while. Not very long. <laughs> Not a lot of people have done that. Kind of disconcerting. Another uh, one of my favorite stories from your past involves that Wolverine up in your kitchen. So um, if you don't know, Wolverines are extremely rare in the lower 48, more more prevalent in Canada and Alaska, but really still a low-density rare animal anywhere that they exist. You can, up till a couple years ago, you could have trapped a Wolverine legally in Montana. There was like a quota of one around Glacier and a quota of one around Yellowstone. But just like lions didn't used to have hunting seasons and just like we used to be able to hunt grizzly bears, Wolverine could have also been legally hunted and harvested in Montana back in the day. And what, tell, tell me the of short version of how you crossed paths with that Wolverine. Oh, it's funny. We were, my wife and I can't agree. I, I thought I was driving a team and had some people on a wagon and she thought I was in a Subaru with the kids. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's, the same. <laughs> it's two different ways of saying the same exact thing. She spotted it. Regardless, I had to go back to the house and get some hunting boots on. I was pretty young. I was I was forty. She sp- she spotted it, but you you got eyes on it too. Yeah, yeah. We were both and in the. You knew right away what it was. She said, "Check out that bear." And I said, "That's the Wolverine I've been trying to get." Oh yeah, had you cut its track prior to that? Oh, multiple times. You knew there was one around. Yeah, so I've been looking for it. Which is kind of interesting because they're notorious for not being around anywhere for a long period. I mean, they have larger they have big travel c- circles than anything. They've got big circles, but I used to take big circles. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> yeah. Oh so we'd run across them multiple times and took two years. I actually had, I thought about trapping him. I had a bait pile for him. Hmm. Which he was, was hitting every time. He wasn't on. He fought a mountain lion that day. They are the grittiest, most tenacious, angry. It's a, it's a weasel, right? Wolverine is a weasel species. Yeah. And they're just pissed. It's like honey badger don't give a shit. Wolverine gives less shits than the honey badger in Africa. So you knew one was around. Your wife spotted it from a Subaru or a wagon, depending on who's telling the story. But you I you were working, right? You had to go home and put horses away yeah you weren't able to just like go shoot it or hunt it yeah no i had to go so i went and put i just grabbed a 22 that was close (laughs) put my schnees on i still remember levi's and i i had several hours of daylight so i went back and just started running down the track personally personally yeah okay 22 in hand elmer fudding it running down (laughs) a wolverine track as fast as i could go it was fresh Those snow. things was, never stop running. They're always loping along, aren't they? It, well, they stop and poke around, do things. And, and I would look to the next ridge, and if I saw it going over, I would just haul ass the ridge because I only had so much daylight left. But did you get eyes on it, though? Like, as at you one, pursued it on foot, you, you did see it at one point? Finally, I came up a draw and looked up, and there he was looking at me. Oh, man. He, just, he was standing me off. And it did you get a not, shot at him, then? That's when I killed him. I thought this involved a dog fight. Nope. I had a dog, a pup, and the pup would not chase it. There's a story about either the dog or the wolverine got its nose ripped. Well, like, that's the interesting thing. It wasn't the – the dog was stayed by my side. It thought it was chasing – it thought it was a skunk. Okay. I didn't want to turn a – one, it was illegal, and two, it was, I didn't want to get on my dog's hurt. Sure, because they're mean. Yeah, so when I killed it, I went up, 
The nose is ripped off to the side, and there's four big claw marks on it. Oh, you think it was from something else, though? I know it was. Yeah, huh. It, got, it fought a lion at a kill. Oh, no kidding. Because I backtracked the wolverine to the kill, and we killed the lion, too. <laughs> that, I mean, Fitch you, killed the lion. You have some incredible she, stuff in here, right. but yeah. there are very few people that have a Montana Wolverine. I never will. I never will. Um, well, what was cool is my buddy wanted a big Tom, and it was a huge Tom. How big? The extra large form Jerry had to split it down the center and put an inch to build it up. So it was a 170, 175 pound Tom. Now, when we talk about, like, the size of lions, we talk about the weight and the skull. You know, the A plus B dimensions of the skull, just like a bear, or the weight. Mm -hmm. And what, explain to me why it's – why could a cat be uh, – a big cat not weigh that much or a little cat would weigh a lot because why does it fluctuate so much? Well, it depends on their stomach, but it depends on the cat. I mean, you can have a huge – we killed a cat that was over 200 pounds and it had a 14, 13 skull, so it didn't even make the record book. It was full of deer meat? No, it was just a – that was without the guts. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. So everybody – just like, uh, every uh, you know, hunters are exaggerating things or uh, everybody's like, yeah, 300-inch bull, I let it walk. It seems like every mountain lion that ever gets killed be like, yeah, and that was empty. And it's just a term that you'd use to talk about the cat weighed 140 pounds, and that was empty. Seems like no one in the history of lion hunting's ever been like, yeah, it was 160 and it was full of meat. <laughs> and it just like, I don't know if it's the ego or pride of us as hunters wanting things to, you want things to be bigger or something. Well, this cat was so big that I went back. I had gutted it. I had skinned it. So then I went and got all the pieces I could get without, without the guts, carried them all back, took a little bit of bailing wire, and every piece I had totaled 196. Once you added it up, like an honest final honest, count. Not 196. Without the, the yeah. guts were still in the field because I didn't scoop them up. And you said it wasn't full of meat. No, I, I had gutted it. Personally oh, oh no, but when you gutted it, did you, did you feel like there was 20 pounds of deer meat in its stomach? I don't have any idea. Okay. I didn't really care because... <laughs> I had no desire to weigh the cat, and it was just a monster cat. But after I got back, I got thinking. thought about it. I'll walk, I'll walk back up there. So I didn't – so I'm just talking the parts that I actually took, right. took to the shop to weigh. Is that the biggest cat you've ever killed? Ever been along with, yeah. Huge, huge cat. How many and, and this cat here was – it was a 170-pound Tom, and his stomach was pretty empty because it just killed a deer. and Hadn't, jumped, hadn't fed on it yet? Hadn't fed on it yet. Vern's pointing to a life-size Tom uh, behind me in the dining room area here. And that's a big cat. That's a long cat. It's the mounds make them all look different. It was, it was a big one, though. But, you know, they, we kill a lot with a full stomach, and, and I weigh very few of them. Sure. We don't always get the opportunity to. Yeah, I don't really care. Our biggest one from this past year was we had to skin it and pack it out, too, and I've I'm going to start carrying a scale with me. We can string up in the trees or something. Um, maybe you could help me carry that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Snacks you could and a scale. Yeah. That sounds great. You, yeah. you can't help someone carry a scale. You can't, yeah, yeah. That means you can't you, split that one I'm up. Just that means you carry scale. Yeah, you'll carry we'll the take, scale. We'll take turns. <laughs> I'll meet you at the tree. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, so you got a lot of so all right, back to back to the line. We'll wrap up on some lion hunting. Some of your personal stats. Um, that was the biggest cat that you've ever ever seen. Ever seen. Ever seen. Yeah. And it was not. It was two called a two hundred pound cat. It, I'm sure it was over two hundred. Why do the lions in Alberta get bigger than they do here? Like they regularly kill two hundred pound cats up there, and they kill. Then they got a hundred fifty pound cats in Texas. Big, that sounds it's big. A big one. Yeah, a real big one. That's real a big, big one here. Hundred fifty pound Tom. That's a nice big cat. It, it, everything changes size depending on latitude. Hmm. Even okay, so you're talking about even the moose get big. Like, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Is that why back in the ice age, every species was bigger like you just had to be yeah they just have to adapt big animals don't do as well in the heat huh yeah that makes that makes good sense to me so you say you've been raising hound dogs and hunting cats for roughly 35 years yep the last 36 the last 10 of which you've been lucky enough to have me around for you you know we just have to be a lot of good times huh these blessings yeah (laughs) a lot of good memories so many good memories you can't even keep them straight it's non-stop entertainment <laughs> i you know i think you kept me around in the beginning just because i was willing to hike anywhere you told me to i would you if you had told me if at help. 23 years old if you had told me to jump off a cliff i'd have jumped off the cliff probably wouldn't do that today but there was a time in the beginning of all of this where i was like whatever this guy says goes and i i blindly do anything you tell me to do which is why you subjected me to so many crazy hikes looking for tracks in the dark well, it would have been very helpful if you hadn't missed so many tracks you? well <laughs> you know what that's a part it's it took time yeah you get better at you learn stuff you don't confuse lines and we'll, but if you're new to it it's tough it's easy to miss a cat track it's easy especially if you're filtering through a bunch of elk tracks and uh, and maybe some wolves have come through or it's so fun. Like, it seems so obvious to me today. I think I'm pretty proficient with it now after oh, doing no, it for yeah. a while. Way, way better than me because I've lost my touch. Yeah, your your eyes are going. Your knees are going. No, I'm just smarter. I don't look for tracks. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I just drive to them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you look for your own track? Yeah. You just wait for the phone to ring. <laughs> no, I and you just pick the best out by by eight a.m. Vern's three cups of coffee deep, and he's like, "All right, I got a plan. I got a track. Yeah, I, I got four I tracks, and we're going to this one." No, I don't. I don't wait for phone calls. I wait for the text of the pictures. That's right. It helps because several times I look at the pictures. Like I remember one day Mark sent me this picture, and I'm going eh, to my wife. I go, "It's hard to it, tell." No, it wasn't hard at all. Oh, she says, "So why are you going?" I said, "This will be an educational experience, so I don't have to do this again." <laughs> Oh. <laughs> he swore and it was funny what was it it was a wolf yeah yeah but i knew it from the pictures yeah and he's he's getting good he's gotten really good but point is we all start somewhere and i you know and there's only there's you got, I, there's only one way to learn it and that's how i cut my teeth was just making mistakes and keep hiking behind my dogs and uh another thing you taught me was judge a mountain line off of the smallest track you can find. So if there's a cat track going down a creek, there's a hundred different lion tracks, a hundred different individual footprints in front of you. Vern taught me to find the smallest one you can. It's all from the same animal. Find the smallest one you can, and that's going to be the most honest representation of it. Why is that? 
Because you can't make your foot smaller. That's right. You can always make it bigger. That's right. So if a cat's walking down an embankment, it often will, will spread its toes out, and it, it's easy for a cat to, to make its foot look bigger. Easily, yeah. And people will do is those, those are the photos I send you. Yeah. I'm like, that's a big one, man. I get up there. He's like, it's a 70-pound female. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was really, really hoping you wouldn't say that. But it's, uh, you're doing it for a living and you burn up a hunter's legs chasing a female. You got to be honest with yourself. You got to be yeah. realistic about it. Yeah, and if he, then he can't go the next day when the big Tom shows up. And you burn your dogs up and burn the whole day when there could have been a Tom track a half mile further up the road. Right. So you just have to just be do it right. So those are the main principles you taught me. TGIF. Find the smallest well, track. And you've multitasked with that, too, because I've seen you put your cowboy boots on. My what now? Put your cowboy boots on. I've seen you do that. Cowboy boots? I don't even own cowboy Toes go, oh, yeah. <laughs> Vern Tommy's quit putting these boots on backwards. <laughs> yep. It's weird. Those Schnee's pack boots are harder to lace up on the back of your calf yeah. <laughs> when you got a, a, a rudder coming off your heel. How long have you been wearing Schnee's pack boots? Uh, since they first made them. You did? What? I got a prototype in, in there that Steve made in that old shop. Steve on, Schnee, uh, founder of Schnee's yeah, Boots. Back when he started. And have you had them re-bottomed? Several times. I've had them redone so many times I can't do it anymore, but I keep them for a spare. Too, too much stitching to the punk, the yeah, poke, poke the, too many holes or something? And the eyelets are worn out. Where God, they're, they're so bomber. I, uh, I just went on that muskox hunt up in northern Canada, and I wore their Extremes which is their, like, heavy-duty, Arctic, heavy-insulation one, are so comfortable. And I my toes are so soft. If I'm not hiking, my feet get really cold. Yeah. And that's – I've frostbit them before, and they're just – I guess I got bad circulation too. But that's what we primarily wear cat hunting, mm-hmm. pack boots. I've gotten you churched up in some nicer gear through the years. You're lucky to have me around. I really am. You got, I remember I got you your first pair. Every morning, Vern's in Schnee's pack boots and heavy wool pants. And I don't know if I've ever seen, I guess I have seen you in a Stormy Cromer. Just like textbook, old-timey outfitter, badass cat hunter. And I'm part of this new generation of kids that are have lightweight, fancy gear and stuff. So I started slowly seeding stuff to Vern and it started with a pair of pants I gave you and those pants sat in a closet for almost two years you're like I don't need that foo foo well not two years it's quite a while but then one day you were coming down Laurie goes you have to put those pants on I said but I'm gonna you're freeze to death feelings. I'm gonna freeze to death <laughs> this is a this is a, a Sitka Timberline pant like an original one from this is Years and years and years ago, but I still to this day believe that Sitka Timberline pants, one of the greatest hunting pants ever made of all time. I still have them. I've never worn the wool pants since then. You've just been been using uh, the, the wool, new era. The of, wool pants have never been on my body since that day. Wow. I also got you into Stone Glacier backpack. You never did give me the right size pants. They're always kind of baggy, so I have to lose suspenders. Oh, they were too big. Yeah. They were probably mine. They were. <laughs> <laughs> They, they were we're not the same size, but I'm not a fashion statement either, and I don't care, so I wear them. Well, I got you into a Stone Glacier backpack, too. And what you do now these days, your real passion is not for killing lions. It's 
for taking photos. Photos, yeah. And turns out, if you want to take nice photos, you got to carry a lot of heavy camera gear. Mm-hmm. And you do. You you'll haul your big Hubble telescope lenses all the way to all the way yeah. to the trees now. And if the light's not right, I don't even take it out of the pack. Why do you like photography so much? Because you don't have to kill anything. You get you don't like killing stuff anymore. No, I don't like killing stuff anymore. I mean, why? What do I? Why would I want to accumulate more stuff that I have to take care of? I, I'm getting rid of stuff. I sold a whole horse trailer load of mounts. I know to Texas. I hope I get written into the will to some degree just to get some of this taxidermy. You can have it. You can dust it. This is being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> when I die, what's going to happen to all this stuff? A lot of it's going to my house. Yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> So you have a, looking around, I'll call it your trophy room. It, it's the living room. You have a big Alaskan moose. You have a big, big brown bear from Alaska, and you have a doll sheep there. Did you ever take dogs to Alaska? Oh, yeah. You did? Yeah. Running bears around up there and lynx and stuff like that? Bears on the islands on the Yukon River. Oh, wow. Drove up, and then we got in a plane, then we got on a boat. I had eight hound dogs. Oh, my goodness. I was up there for a month. That, that is too funny. Not a lot of people have loaded. You didn't know that? Loaded. I, knew, I knew the <laughs> loose details of that. I knew you had it was miserable. hunted in Alaska with your dogs before. It's people hard, I'd rather it. climb Mount Everest than <laughs> go across those islands. The, the downfalls. Like, it's like hiking through a jungle gym. I mean. Just like thick alders and stuff? And trees where you have to climb up. Like there'd be, yeah, just... Bears run around circles. and These are black bears you're chasing? Yeah. Yeah. And then it, sometimes if they were really big, they would just swim across the Yukon <laughs> River. You could see their headway out there. <laughs> we're just, we just got screwed. We did, we've been running around for two hours, three hours. There it goes. There it goes. Swimming the, the big black buoy out there crossing the river. <laughs> yeah. We've had a— It was not a fun deal. We treated some bears, killed some bears. Yeah. And I'll never do it again. Tell, you and I have both hunted Prince of Wales Island for black bear, mm-hmm. but probably 30 years in between us. And we both have big Alaskan Prince of Wales bears. Uh, tell me the story about your brother's bear. Oh, jeez. He'd never seen a bear in the wild. The outfitter couldn't go with us because he couldn't get out on the land, so they dumped us in the water. What do you mean he couldn't get out on the land? He didn't have a permit so we weren't oh, oh okay so he could be in the skiff but we had to physically get so, so you had like a transporter not yeah. an outfitter kind of yeah. situation okay so he leaves his bear walks out i told my brother this bear's huge absolutely a monster you should kill it and it's the first bear you've seen though or was first that right bear he's ever seen in yeah, yeah 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 so and he thinks you're blowing smoke oh yeah of course he's my brother so <laughs> another bear comes out and he says i told you a sow and a cub and i go yeah right then the big one sniffing the little one's butt so <laughs> We get on the shore. I don't think cows and cubs do that. No, I don't think so. That's not the <laughs> usual relationship that you see. Anyway, so we, he says, you kill it. I go, okay. So, so I, he, you were like, man, this is a giant bear. You should shoot this thing. Do I, ever, like, do I ever get excited when I'm about to kill something? No, you're, no. Never. No, it's kind of freaky. So I said, you know, if you don't want it, I'll just kill it. I've never seen one that big. And he, and he was like, yeah, he was staring right. at me, I guess. So I lay down. I go, cover your ears. He goes, I'll take the safety off. He goes, okay, I'll kill it. <laughs> he goes, okay, I, I was just testing you. He was. He was yeah. testing me. So I said, okay, you kill it. 
And then, and then we walk over to it, and I go, I told you. Ah, not a big one. I'm sorry. Ooh. <laughs> I, you just started yanking his chain. Yeah, I go, man, I misjudged this one. He's like, damn it, Vern. He was really frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, what was it? It squared out like eight and a half feet. Oh, my God. I mean, um, plywood for the where they made the rug, you know? Yeah. The paws were hanging off both sides. And it was all the way to the end of the plywood. Four by eight sheets. Two four by eight sheets. I want to say that's as big as they get, but like they don't even get that big. That's they a that's a one in a million black bear. And let my brother shoot it. And you had to twist his arm to do it. It's my brother. Yeah. Yeah, I've got so, one too. So there was mosquitoes and it was really nasty and they were eating us up and I said, We got you got two choices. Either you keep the bugs off me. Or you skin it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go stand in the water since you killed it. Because if you stood in the water, the bugs didn't get you. Right. Turns so, out they can't swim. So he was swearing, and, I, and I'm skinning it while he's keeping the bugs off he's me. Waff- he's batting mosquitoes bugs off, off of yeah. you. Oh, man. Finally get us skinned, and we just went out and stood in the water for four hours waiting for the boat to come back. <laughs> <laughs> to get away from the, the mosquitoes. Oh, it's that was uh, so much fun. I just that's the Alaska I yeah. try to forget. <laughs> yeah, but you keep going back. But it was, and then we got to the boat, and I was the outfit. I talked to him. I said, "We we got to keep messing with them." So until the time we checked it in, you're like, "I think it's is this a sow?" We were. It was back forth. We got into the fishing game office, and there was this bear. I mean, the pile of hide, and they were bragging how big a bear it was. And his was like three pile here. It was three times the size of the other bear. Oh my gosh! And Everyone he was like, "Jokes over." Jokes just, over. You the biologist it. just just gave this all up. It's a big bear. I know it's a it monster is. bear. Yeah. Oh, it's a special place. I'm, I'd like to get back there sometime. But he gets to take care of that rug. I don't have to. Yeah, man. I don't. I don't have that dilemma yet. I still really love taxidermy and collecting things that remind me of great adventures and stuff. What I am seeing in my age is I, I too, don't have the bloodlust I used to have. I used to want to kill everything all the time. Yeah. When did that change? It, it, on the way just down like, here? Just recently. Like, like on, the way, on the drive down? On the drive down here today, I was thinking about I was like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't kill everything. Yeah. Ask, it's, it's easy to say that right in the middle of the summer when it's hot. And yeah. Like, going can't on. find them. <laughs> I do I do <laughs> see that. Day. I like taking people, new hunters out. Um, I don't need to kill. I, I feel I feel that change in myself, um, and that's okay with me. Maybe I'll get into photography. You can teach me that stuff. Photography is really fun because then you can – it's nonstop. When you, My, have, when you have a wolf looking at you and they can hear the shutter and they don't know what it is, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You've got some incredible photos. You'd also have the luxury of living at the edge of a greatest national park <laughs> in our country. So you do get some great opportunities. You get some opportunities. But yeah. I like the little stuff, like Bullock's Oriole. Like, yeah, you start collecting. You, you collect your, your photos just like I try to collect my, my antlers and my taxidermy at this point in my life. But I, I hung up a conference call recently to go photograph an owl that flew past the window. Pygmy owl. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hey guys, got I am, I'm gonna have to go. I just saw a pygmy owl. I've been looking for one for two months, and I got a phenomenal picture. I know, I've seen it. But my pictures, I give to the people. I don't sell them because that would ruin it. But if someone comes, I'll I'll give them pictures, and I see those people years later, and my pictures are their screensaver. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's cool. 
It's it's not about taking hey, anymore. Hey, Chris, you play your cards right. Your next phone screensaver could be a Vern original photo. <laughs> well, I have I have one from the first cat. Oh, yeah. Ever, yeah. Was it a good picture? Yeah. I have to go to the restroom. You tell the story of your first cat hunt, which was very similar to my first cat hunt in the same drainage on the same side of the road. Well, yeah. It wasn't a hunt, but we were out just looking. And I had never seen yeah. a hotline ever in my whole life. And I'd never seen you either. That's right. <laughs> and then you had never seen me, and I had never seen you. And then you just showed up, and, and you were in a car. And we went. Yeah, I remember messing around. Like, we hiked. We, you know why we split up? Why? I can't remember. Because Pete was going to turn all his dogs loose, and there was going to be chaos. So I said, you go that way, I'll go this way. Remember Well, that? I do remember that we drove the road, and shortly after we drove it and then got out and hiked, you drove the same road or something? No, I was walking. You walked the road. Maybe that was No, I, I walked up a drainage. You went up one drainage, and I went up another one just to keep it clean. Okay. And the dog okay. struck. Yep. And then you knew that I was chasing lion because you could see it on the telemetry. Yep. And then you guys finally joined me. And we hiked up this steep, uh, rocky yeah. embankment. But Mark was there. Mark Mark was on a conference call and wanted to take a picture, so he had to leave. And then he came back, so I sat there. And everyone shows up, and I've been freezing my butt off all this time, and everyone wants to sit new and on. I'm like, no, we're done. Let's go. That's your attitude at every tree, though. You Every time we're at a tree, like, take a picture, get the dogs, let's go. And yet you have a kind of a part of your hound training yeah. philosophy that like, hey, job well done. Let's call it a day. Call it a day. Leave the cat alone. Quit. Yeah, because you're anxious up there the whole time. Mm-hmm. You think there's stuff, something to be gained from having your dog, kind of not forcing your dog, I guess, to stay at a tree for a long time? I think there's nothing to be gained. No. Absolute waste of time. Once you, cut, once you catch it, get there as soon as possible. Just, yeah, take Call it good. Home. You did your job. Let's go home. Yep. How many times do they stay there six, seven, eight hours until you get there? Yeah, they're just. And they're still there. They're still they're still treeing and balling. Yeah, call it good. Quit. The cats get enough persecution. I don't jump cats out of trees. It's just take your pictures, leave it alone. Well, we're getting to the point where we should probably wrap this up. But next time that I subject you to recording a podcast with me, we'll tell some stories about losing dogs overnight oh. and uh, some of the things you remember of uh, – Sphinx and I learning the ropes from you. <laughs> Still owe me some firewood for getting your dog the last time. I'm just glad he wasn't dead. Yep. Very cold night. Thank you, Pete. All right, Vern. Thank you so much for telling some stories and for uh, irreferably changing my life. <laughs> so, yes, Sphinx and whether I made it yeah. better or worse. Every time Sphinx is in bed with me, I'm like, man, you won the lottery. You'd be in a kennel at Vern's. And then I'm like, maybe that's where he wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> you would get to hunt twice as much. You have to live in a more beautiful place. <laughs> the dogs like the kennel. Oh, yeah. They it's home. It. It's home to them, yeah. Man, that I see that. they, My hounds, even just a, a crate or a dog box in the house, it's like mm-hmm. that's their space. They know that's their space. It's like a kid wanting to have his own bedroom or something. He's like, this is my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, more stories for another day. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Vern. You're welcome.